Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this lesson from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from the Scriptures will equip and motivate you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. our summer series that we're going to be working through. You look around, you see a lot of our folks are gone, right? School is out. We got a lot of families that are traveling on vacation, some that are out of town for for the weekend. So uh, be much in prayer for all of them. But this is our summer series that we're working through. So I want to hear back from you. I've received quite a bit of feedback. It seems like the majority of all the feedback that I've received from you have to do with the end times. A lot of you guys are curious about that. Uh, this particular subject that we're going to be talking about today is probably the number one subject that you guys have responded. For those that want to know about the end times, this is the area that you're wanting to know most about as far as the feedback that I'm getting from you. So I thought, well, let's just unpack that a little bit. The other one is, and I've already addressed it, are we in the end times? I answered that question a few weeks back. Uh, I don't know where Brad is. Brad manages our podcast, and you should be able to get on our podcast. I didn't check last week. I don't know if it's if it's updated, uh, but you should be able to get on our podcast and listen to every one of these sermons. Uh, but a couple weeks ago, I answered that question, are we living in the end times? So go back and listen to that podcast, and um, there's Brad. So um, get a hold of Brad. Let him know you need the podcast and see where we are on that. Are we up to date on that? Do you know? Okay, about two weeks behind, so uh, it will be up there soon. There's a lot of editing that has to go into that. Obviously, I'm speaking, so there's a lot of work they have to do on these podcasts to get them where we can present them. Uh, but anyway, that will be there, so you can go and listen to that. The other area that I'm going to be addressing in a couple weeks that I'm getting feedback from you has to do with, and this was something I mentioned when I answered the question, are we living in the end times? I had parked just briefly on the subject of the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. And I just kind of bumped into that a little bit in that series. And that, I guess, generated some thought and you guys kicked back some questions wanting to know about those judgments. So I will be talking about those in the next several weeks. I think it's good to understand and know some of this stuff. And maybe it's not real popular to do on Sunday morning, but I'm just trying to answer your questions, okay? So that's what we're going to be doing as we roll through through these particular ones. So today we're going to be talking about... What does the Bible have to say about the Antichrist? Does it say anything about the Antichrist? It says a lot about the Antichrist. Matter of fact, you look at your sermon notes, there's a lot of material. And if I sit and unpack all of that material that I put in your sermon notes, we're going to be here for a while. So I'm going to try to just give you a panoramic view of what the Bible says. And you can drill down in your personal time with the references I've given you and study some of that out for, for yourself. Okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to jump right into Daniel chapter 8. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there to Daniel chapter 8. And the Antichrist is mentioned in a lot of different places in Scripture. And I'll draw those references out to you in a moment. But we're going to read Daniel chapter 8, verse 23 and following to get started. Then we're going to jump right into this, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. 
and how it gives us insight and knowledge and wisdom concerning your word and your doctrine and your teachings about life in general, but also specifically about the end times and how things are going to unfold. And I just pray, Lord, you give us understanding. Uh, Part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the word of God so that we understand what it is that we're reading and your word says it's spiritually discerned and so we just pray that we would be sensitive and open to what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us today concerning the subject of the Antichrist and help us though not to panic and not to worry for those of us that know you as our Lord and Savior everything's going to be well matter of fact this should really not even bother us at all And I just pray, Lord, that the only way it would bother us is that we have loved ones that may not know you as their Lord and their Savior, and we want them to come to Christ before it's too late. We ask your blessings on the teaching of your word today. Hide me behind the shadow of the cross. Help this congregation and those that listen by podcast to only hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 8, verse 23. You know what's taking place in Daniel chapter 8, verse 23? This is when Daniel is given the interpretation for the king of Nebuchadnezzar that you find back over in Daniel chapter number 8. So he is interpreting the dream or the vision that, that the king had. Now you'll notice if you go back up in verse number, what, 16... That it's Gabriel that's given him the interpretation. That's one of the jobs of, of the angels is to carry out some of these translations of these visions to the individual. So you'll notice that. But as you come on down, I want you to look in verse 17 of Daniel 8. And Charlie, I don't have that. Just stay where you are. I'm getting there. But in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 17, it says, So he approached where I was standing. That he is Gabriel. He approached where I was standing. I is Daniel. And when he came near, I was terrified and I fell face down. He said, son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision refers to the time of the end. Okay. So he's given him a time frame for the interpretation of this vision and what he's going to share with him, what it's going to refer to. Matter of fact, let's jump to the, to the end of verse number 26. And you'll see that he says, now you must seal up the vision because it refers to many days in the future. So here at the beginning of him giving the interpretation of the vision, and at the end of it, twice he's told him, this doesn't refer to now, this refers to the end times, okay? Many days in the future. Now let's look at verse number 23. He says, near the end of the kingdoms, when the rebels have reached the full measure of their sin, an insolent king skilled an intrigue will come to the throne. His power will be great, but it will not be his own. He will cause terrible destruction and succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the powerful along with the holy people. And he will cause deceit to prosper through his cunning and by his influence. And in his own mind, he will make himself great. He will destroy many in the time, in a time of peace. And that's important. He will even stand against the prince of princes. That's even more important. Yet he will be shattered. Notice what it says. Not by human hands. So this reference that we have here of the Antichrist, there's a lot of things it says about him. And I can take some of those, several of those, and draw you to prophecy in Scripture about what's taking place at that event that's referenced here. But what I want you to see, it says that he's going to destroy in a time of peace. 
He's going to come against the holy people. In verse number uh, 25, 26 down there, verse 25, it says he's going to stand against the prince of princes. Notice it says, yet he will be shattered. So he's going to be destroyed. But how? Notice it says, not by what? So there's no human that's going to destroy him. It's going to be a supernatural battle that's going to take place, and he's going to be destroyed at that time. So that is a reference to the Antichrist that we find in Daniel chapter 8, and there are many more references all throughout Scripture. Now, look in your sermon notes. I want to lead in with this. Some 40 billion people have lived on the earth since Adam was created. And since that time, the world has witnessed many talented and intelligent and powerful people. However, none of these people are able to match this man who will be known as the Antichrist. He will be powerful. He will be deceitful. He will be intelligent. He will be brutal. He will be ruthless. He will be efficient. He will represent the pinnacle of all that man can achieve apart from God. He will literally be Satan's number one man. So today we're just going to dig in scripture and see what the Bible has to say about this man called the Antichrist. Okay, so let's jump into this. The first thing I want you to see, and there are some signs of his appearing, just like there are signs. And I shared this with you when I answered the question, are we living in the end times that you had asked me to address? I answered that question, just as there are signs that we're living in the end times, there are also signs that the Antichrist is close to being revealed, okay? And I want to show you some of these signs that kind of pinpoint us to the Antichrist. By the way, disclaimer, understand this. No man knows who the Antichrist is going to be or where he may be come out of or as far as the individual okay you've heard people say oh i think he's the antichrist or i think he's the antichrist or i think he nobody knows right are you with me get it good okay so nobody knows who he's going to be remember if you run across somebody that says ah no remember you walk away softly you smile you say have a great day and you walk away right if you're listening to somebody on the radio and they tell you i know turn it off okay don't follow that teaching Okay, if they give you Kool-Aid, don't drink it. Okay, nobody knows who this man is going to be. Also, no one knows when he is going to be revealed other than the event that is going to take place before he is revealed. But even no one knows when that event is going to take place. Okay. And that's the the second Thessalonians passage when it says, He that now letteth will let until he is taken out of the way, that he is the Holy Spirit. Two things that are hindering the Antichrist from being revealed. One is the church, two is the Holy Spirit. They both must be removed before the Antichrist can be revealed. And I'll unpack that for you in just a moment, give you chapter and verse for that as well. Okay? Are we on the same page here? So nobody knows when he's going to be revealed, and certainly nobody knows who he is going to be. Disclaimers that I want you to be aware of as we start unpacking some of what the Bible has to tell us about this man called the Antichrist. The first thing I want you to see, now here's, here's your notes that you need to fill in. The big blank is the appearing of the Antichrist. And then I want you to look at these three things and fill in your notes as I'm talking about some of these so you have those. We're talking about the appearing 
of the Antichrist. And we see that mentioned in Daniel chapter 8 and verse number 23. It talks about at the end of their kingdoms, when the rebels have reached their full measure of sin, an insolent or a proud or an arrogant king is going to rise up, skilled in intrigue, and he will come to the throne. So here's what I want you to see. In the end time, there's going to be this fierce king that's going to rise up. And there are many signs of his coming. First of all is the condition of the world. What will be the condition of the world whenever the Antichrist is going to be revealed? Well, there's two passages of Scripture that deal with that. And that's just what I want you to see. I'm not telling you what I think about anything. Okay? I'm not even giving you my opinion on things. I'm just trying to answer what the title of this summer series is. What does the Bible have to say? So if I don't have chapter and verse for it, I'm not even going to tell you what, it, what, what I think. Okay? Why? Why am I not going to tell you what I think? Here it is. It doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what the Bible says. Hello? Are you with me? Okay? So, let's look. There's two passages of Scripture that deal with the condition of the world whenever the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and be revealed. Luke 17, 26. Get this. Just as it was in the days of Noah... So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So there was immorality running just rampant in the days of Noah. Do we see that in our day? We do. Look at the next passage of Scripture that I have in your notes, Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1 and following. It says, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be, and then we're going to go through a long description of the people, the condition of the world in that day. You tell me if it kind of looks like 2018. I didn't say that's the year he's coming. I have no idea when he's coming, okay? Looks, if it looks like the day we're living in is what I'm trying to say here, okay? Look, if people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, hello? Right? Are you with me on this one? Okay, I'll move forward. Can you imagine having to take your son to court to get him to move out at age 30? Can you? There's some reasons that stuff's going on. Anyway, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, Traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but denying the power, avoid these people. These are some of the conditions of the world and the condition the world is going to be whenever the Antichrist comes on the scene. So obviously, we're kind of living in those conditions, right? We can kind of see this all around whenever we look at Scripture, what the condition of the world is going to be versus whenever he is going to be revealed in the end time. Okay, so not only is there the condition of the world, the second thing I want you to see is the corruption of religion. Now, understand this. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three talks about an apostasy that's going to take place. I want you to look. It says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness, which is a reference to the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now, the apostasy, what is that? That's when 
denominations, churches, Christians are turning or watering down, are doing away with the fundamentals of the faith. The fundamentals, the doctrines of the Word of God. There's going to be a religious apostasy that's going to take place and it's going to be very apparent. Matter of fact, there was a day when you told someone, I'm a Christian. We pretty much knew what you believed in. That's all you had to say, right? That day is no longer, right? There was a day when I was growing up and you said you're a Christian. Well, that meant that you you did your best to live right. You believed in the Trinity. You believed in the virgin birth of Christ. You believed in the sinless life of Jesus Christ. You believed that he died on the cross for the remission of all sin. You believed that he was buried and that he rose again. You believed that he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. You believed that in the second coming of Christ. Get this. You believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. You believed in the inspiration of Scripture. You believed in the infallibility of Scripture. I mean, those are things back in the day when you said, I'm a Christian, that you pretty much could bank on, that's what that person believes in. But not anymore. There are folks today that call themselves Christians for whatever reason that may not necessarily believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. There are those that call themselves Christian that may not necessarily believe that Jesus is coming again. There are those that call themselves Christians that may not necessarily believe in the virgin birth of Christ. There are those that call themselves Christians that necessarily really may not believe that this is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. They may say something like this. Well, I believe the Bible contains the word of God. But I don't necessarily believe it is the Word of God. The difference, my friends, between that, those two statements. Someone can say, well, I believe it contains. Well, what part is, does, it, is, does it not contain? All right? I mean, it is the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the inspired, infallible Word of God. There's a lot of people today that do not even believe that. But yet they still call themselves Christian, Right? We're just a Christian nation. We kind of throw that label out. We're not anymore. We're very much a minority, right? For those that truly believe the values and the doctrines and the fundamentals of the faith, we're certainly a minority today. When denominations have to get together and vote about different lifestyles or different situations or different political views and and get a census among the people if they think that is right or wrong and they totally ignore what God's word has to say my friend you're no longer Christian say amen or oh me but you get what I'm saying right so the condition of the world and then the corruption of religion but the third thing I want you to see is this What hinders, and this was what I was bumping into just a moment ago, what hinders the Antichrist from being revealed today? There are two major hindrances that are taking place right now that is stopping the revealing of the Antichrist. And thank God for it. What are those two? What's the completion of the church? What is the completion of the church? Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse number 6, it says, 
and you know what currently restrains him. The him is talking about the Antichrist, the lawless one. What is currently restraining him? Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.6. And you know what currently restrains him so that he would not be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Okay? The system is already put in motion. The pieces of the puzzle are all coming together. But the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. What is the one, who is the he that is hindering the lawless one from being revealed? That he is the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit has got to be removed before the Antichrist can be revealed. Now, here's what's going to take place. When the Holy Spirit is removed, guess what's going to be removed with him? Are you with me? The church. Why is that? Because the scripture says, Jesus said, I would never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. How did he fulfill that promise? The way he fulfilled that promise is through the third person of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit. Because there's some attributes that Jesus gave up whenever he became incarnate, whenever he became God in the flesh. One of those was his ability by the person of Jesus, to be omnipresent. But we know that God is omnipresent, right? And he's omnipresent now through the person of the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers. And when the day comes that the Holy Spirit's going to leave and go by, then what's going with him? The church will then go with him. And then Second Thessalonians says, then the lawless one, he will be Revealed. So I'm not going to talk about the tribulation much right now because that's some feedback that you guys have given me. I'll be unpacking that in the near future. But right here we're bumping into the tribulation, okay? And so I'm going to back out of that and deal with that in another sermon, okay? Is that okay? All right? Okay. So that's talking a little bit about the appearing. The second thing I want you to see, and i got to hurry up because it's 720 and I don't want to keep you here all day. I try to be very respectful of your time. So we're talking about now, did I say 720? I've got plenty of time, right? (laughs) It's 11.20. I don't know where I got 7.20, right? Because my mind's focused on this message, not on this watch. By the way, you know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So don't ever get encouraged or whenever. It means nothing, really. Just making sure it's still there. It's 7.20, so i got plenty of time, right? Okay, abilities. I want you to see the abilities... The abilities of the Antichrist. Now, a couple things here. There's actually four things. And I want to draw your attention to Revelation chapter 6. And I believe I'll have it on the screen. Charlie, I tried to help you this week. Have you noticed? Have you noticed what I did for you back there? You know, last time I just threw the scripture in there and he had to search and find it. Today, I've tried my best to put it in order that I would be dealing with it. So he just clicked, clicked, clicked. So enjoy that, Charlie. That's not to say I may not just jump around. but So just watch me, okay? Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 2. The scripture says, I looked and there was a white horse and the horseman on it had a bow. Notice there's no arrows. It didn't say a bow and an arrow, but a bow. And a crown was given to him. That's important. And he went out as a victor to conquer. 
Four things I want to give you real quick, and I don't have time to unpack them much. I've given you the reference. You can dig into it a little more. Four things I want you to see about the ability of the Antichrist. Number one, he will be a man of popularity. Okay? That's what it talks about when he was given a crown. That tells of a man that's been given this crown. He's going to be a person that's going to be very popular. I mean, the world is going to embrace this man. He's going to arrive on the scene with a formula for world peace. I mean, the, the, um, the viable explanation of the disappearance of Christians, he's going to have an answer for. Everyone's going to embody this person known as the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness. They're going to embody him as the world leader of the day. I love what the late Adrian Rogers said. And by the way, many years ago, the church sent my wife and I on a cruise, an Alaskan passageway cruise with Adrian Rogers. I still remember that like it was yesterday. And I so much enjoyed sitting with him and, and listening to him and being in his seminars. And he is one of my heroes that's going on to be with the Lord today. But Adrian Rogers said this about the Antichrist. He said the Antichrist will have the leadership of a Washington or a Lincoln. He will have the elegance of a Franklin Roosevelt. He will have the charm of Theodore Roosevelt. He will have the charisma of a John F. Kennedy. He will have the popularity of a Dwight Eisenhower. He will have the political savvy of a Lyndon Johnson. He will have the intellect of a Thomas Jefferson. They bring all of those together. That's what the Antichrist really is going to look like. He's going to be a man that's very very popular. The second thing, he's going to be a man of peace. Notice Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 2 says that I looked and there was a white horse. So this Antichrist will be on this white horse, which gives the appearance of good riding on a white horse. But also notice that he has a bow but no arrows. So that means he's not going to be a man of war. He's going to be a man of peace that's coming in. And by the way, he's going to allow Israel to return to their former state of worship, and there's going to be a wonderful time of peace and harmony that's going to take place, and then it's all going to break loose here in the near future. But he's going to be a man of peace. The third thing, he's going to be a man of prosperity. A man of prosperity. Daniel eleven forty three says he will get control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver. Revelation 13 says, And he requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of the number of his name. So the Antichrist will eventually control the wealth of the entire world. He will bring prosperity to those that are poverty stricken. I believe in my mind, and I'm, I don't have chapter and verse for this, but I believe that he's going he's to have the answer for all of world hunger. I mean, he's going to be a very prosperous individual, and we're gonna, we see that through many passages of Scripture. The letter D, or actually the fourth thing I want you to see, he will be a man of power. Look in Revelation 17, in verse 7 through 8. It says he was permitted to, to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. He's going to be fighting against those tribulation saints. And he was also given authority over tribe and people and language and nation. And all those who live on the, on the earth will worship him. This Antichrist will eventually rule the entire world, and everyone on the earth is eventually going to worship him. And you'll, I'll unpack that for you here in just a moment. Let's look at some of the 
admonitions of Christ here or abominations of Christ here. He will, a couple of things I want you to see. I think I have an arrow in your sermon notes. One, two, three. Yeah, there's only three. The letter D on number three, mark that out. The letter C and D on number four, mark that out. That was when I was copying and pasting. I kind of made an error there. A couple of things I want you to see here about some of the abominations of the Antichrist. There are some abominations to the people of God. There's an abomination to the prince of God. There's an abomination to the place of God. Let's look first of all at the people of God in Daniel 7:25. It says that he will speak words against the most high. And oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws and holy ones. And will be handed over to him for a time and times and a half a time. There's your... your um part of your tribulation period there that is in reference to. But here's what I want you to see. The Antichrist, whenever he comes on the scene initially, the church has been raptured out. The Holy Spirit's been taken away. The Antichrist then is going to be revealed. The world is going to be in turmoil like it's never seen before. Think of all the destruction that's going to take place when Christians are called out and the horrific events that are going to take place across the world at that time. He's going to step forth and he's going to have some answers to all of this. One of the things that he's going to, to do, because the, the tribulation period is seven years there's three and a half years of peace and then three and a half years of great tribulation. The three and a half years of peace, you know what he's going to do? He's going to allow Israel to restore their Old Testament form of worship. By the way, there is no temple that has been rebuilt yet in Israel, right? The temple will be rebuilt. And he will allow the Jews to go back to their former way of worship, which is going to create some world peace for about three and a half years. But then we see where he's going to turn that in the middle of it, and he himself is going to sit on the throne and demand worldwide worship. And you'll see that here in just a moment. But the people of God, he is going to attack. The Secondly, he's going to attack the prince of God. Look in Daniel 8, verse 25. And he will even stand against the prince of princes. The prince of princes is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Okay? So it appears that anything having to do with godliness or holiness or Christ will be the focus of his attacks. As a matter of, matter of fact, during the tribulation period, it's mentioned over in Revelation 14 how the gospel is going to be preached throughout the tribulation period. You know who's going to be preaching the gospel? Those are 144,000 Jewish saints that are going to be preaching the gospel. And the Antichrist will try to stop them, but he can't stop the preaching of the gospel for those who have not heard and give them a chance to be saved. However, if you're saved in the tribulation period, you will die a martyr's death for your salvation. Okay? That's a whole other thing, and we'll talk about that in the tribulation. Okay? He will also attack the place of God. The place of God is what I was talking about. Look, if you will, in Daniel 9.27. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. So what he's saying is he's going to restore Israel to their old form of worship. 
For three and a half years they're going to do that. And then he himself is going to go sit on the throne. He's going to attack the place of worship where he's going to demand folks to worship him. And if you don't do it, you'll die for not worshiping him. Okay? So that's some of the abominations that are taking place. Some of the afflictions of the Antichrist himself, whenever he is destroyed, it will be sudden. And it will be serious. Jot those two things down. I'll talk about it while you're writing. It will be sudden. Daniel 8:25. Yet he will be shattered. I love that part. But not by human hands. He will be shattered. But not by human hands. That just simply means that the Antichrist will be defeated. But he's not going to be defeated by man. He's going to be overthrown. And he's going to be defeated. It's going to be a supernatural defeat. Revelation 19.20. But the beast was taken prisoner along with him. The false prophet who had performed the signs in his presence. So there's going to be a defeat that's going to take place with the Antichrist. But then also I want you to see how serious it's going to be. Revelation 19.20, the latter part of that verse, it says both of them, that's the beast and the false prophet, both of them will be thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Now let's talk a little bit about the time frame right here. The tribulation period is going to be taking place at seven years. Okay. At the end of the tribulation period, we're coming back, the saints of God are coming back with Jesus Christ. That's when the Antichrist will suffer defeat supernaturally by God himself. Okay? That's when that's going to take place. And then I want you to understand the world's not going to end there. So let me just say this. If the, rap, if the rapture were to happen today, do you realize this world will be in existence for at least a thousand and seven years more? You say, well, where do you get that? Well, seven years is the tribulation period. Okay? That's clearly taught in Scripture. As long as you don't reference all the prophecies as, as the Jewish people and you see the church there, you'll see easily it's seven years. Okay? At the end of the tribulation period, whenever Jesus comes back, and by the way, we're coming with him, right? We're going to fight this battle with him. Of course, all Jesus is going to do is stand on the mountain and speak, and the blood's going to flow to the horse's bridle, as it says in Scripture. And that's another topic we can talk about, okay? Then what's going to happen? Satan, or the Antichrist, and the false prophet are going to be imprisoned, okay? Put away until judgment, so for a thousand years, you've probably heard of this. Have you heard of the millennial reign of Christ? You heard of that? That's when that's going to take place. We're going to come back with Christ. And then we are going to rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Jesus himself is going to sit on the throne. Matter of fact, that scripture, that's prophesied back in Isaiah 714. That may be wrong right there. I'm thinking that's the reference. Somebody look that verse up and read it here in just a moment. Somebody get to Isaiah 714 and read that to me. Okay? But I'm thinking that's the verse. That's the threefold prophecy of Isaiah. We use that, I think, in church all the time. Or is that Isaiah 9-6? One of those two. Okay? Somebody get Get there and help me out. I want to give it to you here real quick, okay? That's the threefold prophecy of the millennial reign of Christ. Anybody getting there? You know, let me run this rabbit and then I'm going to close this out, okay? 
Everybody okay with that? Here we go. Isaiah 9. It's Isaiah 9, 6. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Isaiah 9, 6. It says this. For a child will be born. Right? A son will be given. Get this. And the government will be on his shoulders. Let's stop. A child will be born. Question. Was this child born? Yeah, it's talking about Jesus. When do we celebrate that? Christmas, right? A son will be given. This child that was the son of God, was he given? When? At the crucifixion. When do we celebrate that? At the resurrection, which is when? Easter. Threefold prophecy coming into play. Two parts of the prophecy have already been fulfilled. Are you with me? Look at the third part of the prophecy. And the government will be on his shoulders. Question. Has the government ever been on the shoulders of this child that was born and this son that was given? No. So there's a part of this threefold prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. Get it? When do you think that is going to happen? It's called the millennial reign of Christ. At the end of the tribulation period, when Christ comes back, that's when we will sit on the throne with him, or he will sit on the throne, we will rule and reign with him, and that's when the government will be on his shoulders. And that's a, that's a Christmas passage, right? We celebrate that every Christmas. And he will be, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now look at verse 7 of Isaiah 9. The dominion will be vast. His prosperity will never end. Get this. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts hopefully will accomplish this. That's not what the Bible says. Okay? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is good stuff. I hope you're getting it. Right? What is taking place? It says, He will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom. The rebuilding of the temple is a good thing. Let them get started doing that. Right? Because we know before the tribulation period can take place, the temple has to be rebuilt. And then the rapture is going to take place. And then the one that comes back with all the answers, which is the Antichrist, or rises up with all the answers, he's going to restore the Jewish people to their old form of worship. Isn't it amazing how this little bitty place called Israel gets so much attention in our world today? Why is that? It's because that's God's chosen people. There's been a spiritual battle taking place with every other religion that is out there, with everything that's going on in the Middle East. It's all based around the spiritual battle that's taking place there. But I just gave you chapter and verse that Jesus is going to reign and sit, literally sit. Let me ask you. You say, well, I think that's figuratively, or that's just a figuratively supernatural. Oh, my question. Was the child figuratively born? Was the son figuratively given? 
No. Was the child literally born? Yes. Was the son literally given? Yes. Right? Do you think the third part of the prophecy is going to be any different? No. He's literally going to come and sit on the, this stuff excites me. I know I got to get you out of here. My goodness, I could go on for hours on this kind of stuff, but I got to stop. So it's going to be sudden and it's going to be serious. Here's what I want you to get. And I'm going to close band. You guys come on. We'll close us out with a song right here. Did I get all your blanks filled in? There's no CND. My bad. Scratch through that. Here's the conclusion. Here's what I want you to get. We may wonder what all this has to do with us. The answer is Jesus is coming. And the world is poised to enter a time of trouble like nothing she's ever experienced before. What happens to you depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. I invite you to give your life to him today. I want you to look at my disclaimer. I do not fear the Antichrist at all. Why? Because I'm not even going to be here when he comes. Amen? I'm not even going to be here when he comes. So it doesn't bother me much other than the fact that there are people that are not ready. Possibly some of your family, some of your loved ones, some of your friends and co-workers, maybe even your neighbor. So we need to be aware that at the end of the book, we come out victoriously, church, right? We win. But only because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because we're a church member, not because we've been baptized or take communion, not because we give an offering, only because we know Jesus as our Savior. So friends, I want you to know Him. If you don't nail that down, just be sure you know Him, and it will all pan out in the end. You've heard my panology, right? It will pan out in the end, as long as you know Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time together. Thank You for Your Word and how vibrant and alive it is. It's as up-to-date as tomorrow morning's newspaper. Thank you, God, for that. I pray we find comfort in studying your word and knowing what is going to take place in the future. But the comfort we find is by simply knowing you as our personal Lord and Savior. My prayer is today, if there's someone here today that does not know you, they're not sure of their salvation prayer is right now that they would believe in you the son of God sinless son of God who lived on this earth for 33 and a half years died on that old rugged cross scripture says that you laid and placed on him the sins of us all was buried rose again victoriously the third day and is right now seated by the right hand of God the father Lord we confess our sins we repent of our sins we ask and plead for your forgiveness. We trust in you and the finished work of Calvary, not our works of righteousness, not by hoping our good outweighs our bad, but simply by trusting in you and having a relationship with you. We ask you into our hearts and into our lives to be our Lord and our Savior. Give us all the assurance of our salvation. Thank you again for the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this lesson from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, 
please call us at 618-622-9360, or you can email us at victoryfwb at gmail.com. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email, call, or send a request to 223 Scott Troy Road, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.